Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about bad times at the El Royale. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we like to do on this podcast. You know, it, it has just occurred to me that we always call them the folks at home. But I never listen to podcasts at home. Uh, anyway, for you folks, wherever you are, uh, this podcast we like to talk about games. But also movies and television sometimes. Well, um, you, know, you know what, Buddy? I like to think that... Everywhere that we are is a home of some sort. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's real. I, I, I'm, I'm down for that. Um, yeah. So, uh, so this week we're talking about bad times at the El Royale. If you are a longtime listener, and by that I mean you to the last week's show, <laughs> <laughs> you, you probably heard from Mango that he, he saw this movie, he liked it, he enjoyed it, uh, and I decided to pick it up on a, on an offhand three thirty showing uh, two days ago. Yeah, two days ago. Uh, and now it's time, and now it's time to talk about it. I'm curious. Okay, I'm curious. You know me, right? Yeah. What do you expect me to say about this movie? Like, do you think I liked it? You know, like, is this, is this in my wheelhouse? Any of that kind of stuff? Huh. That's, 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 that's a good question. I don't, I don't know how, how you're going to parse this, because I know that you like some, some of kind of like the the more artsy stuff that they did a little bit of this movie. I, I know that you 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 like some of, some of those aspects sometimes. Um, I don't feel any of the big kind of bad things you like. I don't see a lot of bathos in this movie, which which is your big big sticking point. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how, how you feel about it, right? Like the, the the best parallel I can draw is that like it's Roshiman esque, and I know you're a you're a, you're a big uh, Kurosawa fan, so. That's probably my, 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 would be my best guess that you enjoyed it. Maybe not particularly so. What, what's interesting. Your, what, what's, what's your pre-spoiler uh, impression? Because you already got okay. mine. I love this movie. I think it's great. Okay. And not only that, this is a movie I am like predisposed to hate, right? Like, I really don't like Drew Goddard. I don't think he's... I don't think he's really good. I don't like Cloverfield. I didn't like Cabin in the Woods, which was full of bathos. And, like, not even in a funny way. Like, a lot of a lot of Cabin in the Woods, to me, it's just, like, very mean-spirited takedowns of, like, narrative devices that are necessary to make horror movies work. Right. Um, uh, I didn't like the first season of Daredevil, which he was the showrunner for. Uh, and so, walking into this, this is by a creator that I'm already kind of, like, biased against. And then on top of that... Um, without going to any kind of, like, spoilers, this movie really isn't about anything. Yeah. Right? Um, it doesn't have... It's not, it's not like a theme movie in the way that I'm drawn to movies like Batman vs. Superman because it asks interesting questions or, you know, something like, uh, like Moonlight that has, uh, like, really, like, deep and complex character studies and variations on, on these kinds of themes. Like... I think the movie is, like, deep and complex, but it is not deep and complex in that kind of, like, space. And so I am almost flabbergasted with myself that I came out of that movie being like, wow, that was awesome. Yes, it's not even about what, like, the trailer pretends it's about, I, f I feel like. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a very different kind of movie, so I, 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 I totally get that. Um, did you want to say anything else before we got into spoiler territory? Uh, I, I hardly recommend it. All right. I also think it's very worth it on the big screen. Um, not, not you know, like typically I recommend things for the big screen because of kind of, um, you know, 
size and scale of like special effects and shit like that but this is kind of the opposite of that like this is a very art house movie with a lot of information and a lot of frames um one of the things that i liked about this movie is that it doesn't take you for granted and it doesn't like cheat on your behalf there's not a lot of like there's not a lot of exposition to explain things to you and in a lot of places you just need to like read the film language as it is in order to kind of like follow along with like the plot and everything like that and i feel like that must be a lot harder on a laptop screen you know where you might be checking your phone and tabbing out um than it would be on uh a big cinema screen so i would definitely recommend people go see it in the theaters if they can uh i, I obviously know that it's falling out of theaters as we speak yeah, I, I cut it on the t tail end of its theatrical run for my area, so it might be a little bit hard. But I, I also, I don't think like that that undivided attention thing. I think you can do other other places. Um, I would also recommend if you can't get it in theaters, like actually sitting down and paying attention to this movie, um, and just kind of like absorbing it. Um, uh, but I with with that out of the way, uh, we're gonna get into spoilers territory. Um, uh, I feel like there's like. There's so much of this movie that is just kind of like woven into it that there's really not a lot else to say about it non-spoiler wise. So I think spoilers are kind of important for this movie. So if you want to see this movie, don't listen to this podcast. Go 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 watch it and come back. Um, uh, but it, yeah, that, that's all I'm going to say. Spoiler warning. Spoiler spoilers. Come back at the end of the podcast if uh, if you want to hear how we burn and and, uh, and that's it. But uh, uh, definitely go see this movie. But uh, getting into spoilers then. Um, I'm going to jump to the end because it was my favorite part, but, um, like the, the, the miles, um, I really, or what's his name? His name is miles, right? The, yeah. The, 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 yeah. The bellhop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the bellhop, right? Like this whole time, I think he's just like some fucked up kid. Right. And it's like, and you know, he's been doing fucked up things for this hotel for a long time. And, and I, I, you know, it totally caught me by surprise when the big, this was the thing I was talking about last week was the, the big twist for his character that kind of like re refigured him. It's like, you know, um, you know, uh, I can't kill again. How many people have you killed? 100, like 123. And it says flashbacks to Vietnam. I'm like, whoa, whoa, that caught me totally off guard. And it was great. It was like a great reframing of the character. It was, it was, it was awesome. Um, and totally like redefined what this character was. Like it explain, it, instead of just being like some loser, he's like, a you know, he's, he's a, a shell shock veteran of, of sorts. And so I thought that was like, that was absolutely my favorite part of the movie. And especially when it rolled into like him being an absolute badass for like five seconds and just taking out everybody. I figured like, I figured that they would have to deal with, 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 with that, with, with the, the cult at some way. I actually thought my initial thought was that like the, uh, the agent wasn't dead. Um, like that he was just going to come crawling in with like a blood wound on his, on his shirt. Yeah. Something. I also thought that might happen actually. Um, because that's, I don't know, I guess we've watched enough movies that uh, the, the yeah, tropes yeah, yeah. kind of raised their heads. But uh, what, what did you think of that? Uh, so I definitely, um, I definitely liked that part. And I thought that that was really interesting. What I liked about the bellhop in general was just that he wasn't taken, um, you know, like he wasn't taken for granted sort of thing. Like a lot of people got, you know, like this is, this is one of those movies where basically everybody has an arc and everybody has like, um, you know, interesting shit to do. And a lot of the times in a movie like this, where, you know, it's kind of structured like a mystery, you have a facilitator character that doesn't really get all that much interesting screen time or anything kind of along those lines, right? 
Um, and, uh, and I think that that's okay. Um, but the interesting thing about Miles is that, like, yeah, he's the facilitator character, right? Like, he's kind of, like, the butler in Clue or kind of whatever else, right? But he is also the... the He's also given his own arc and his own character, and he's and he's moving through his own sort of journey in parallel with the four guests, right? Um, and so I thought that that was, like, really cool and really interesting. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, especially because, like, the, 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 the whole thing about the the hotel is, especially going into, you, you know, I, I didn't expect it. Like, the, the hotel is, is as much a, 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 a character in the movie. Maybe not as much, but, like, it's definitely uh, a a character in the movie in a way that um uh that that you know some sometimes uh kind of settings are just kind of like window dressing if, if that makes sense am i making sense yeah 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 um and he's kind of the, the conduit for that right like we never see the management but he's the conduit to like what this hotel is why it's so um weird and fucked up and uh and and how it's 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 the device by which um all kind of like the storylines interweave with each other uh, which, which I thought was, was, was really, it reminded me a lot of, um, like lock, stock and two smoking barrels. The, the whole movie is kind of like, it's a comedy of errors, right? Like everything just like, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's a sort of plot contrivance, but it's, it's one that, you know, you, you forgive for the sake of the movie, but it, it's funny, you know, just like none of this, none of these storylines needed to interact with each other just so happened to, I, I think that, I think that made it a lot of fun, if that makes sense. What do you mean of like a plot contrivance? Well, like it's 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 a plot contrivance in that, um, you know, these people all just happen to be here and all happen to have their storylines colliding at the exact same moment, right? Like it's not like a, a like a real it's not like a, a plot hole, right? But it's like a thing that like you know it is like but th- that's that's like how comedy of errors works, right? Like, um these things all happen to line up in such a way that the worst possible outcome comes about. You, you follow me? I guess I do. I don't know. I, I don't know if I would, in a certain sense, I guess I think plot contrivance is like a negative. Sure. Thing. And that's, that's, not, um, yeah. I don't and I wouldn't point. hold that against like, you know, like the, I would, I just wouldn't hold that against the movie. I guess. Sure. No, ab- um, absolutely. Um, I, I, yeah, I, probably... I like, I think, I think this movie is a lot like a, you know, I, I liken these kinds of movies to like jigsaw puzzles. Like, I actually don't think I'm ever going to watch the, the bad times of the El Royale again. I don't really think I would get all that much out of a second viewing because I think the interesting part of this movie is you are in the theater and you don't know what's coming and you're trying to figure it out and like decrypt the movie as it's going and like, are you clever enough and fast enough to see what's going to come next, right? Which I think is, which is interesting and cool. And it, it pops up in other movies. Um, like, this is a very, like, Tarantino thing. The Hateful Eight is kind of this, yeah, you yeah. know, like, like, built on this. In fact, this and The Hateful Eight are very similar movies, uh, except for The Hateful Eight has, like, you know, it's it's like a deconstruction of like Western stuff, and so there's all that like pieces. You know, like there's all that kind of coming into it and stuff. Um, but in general, yeah, like I, like that's the, like the fun of this movie is trying to put that jigsaw puzzle together. And once you have the jigsaw puzzle, and once you see it fully, like I don't know that going back and rewatching it, like maybe you would go back and rewatch it to see like all of the clues that you missed and stuff like that. But like 
I, I think this movie is fun to to watch where the pieces fall and to see how everything, you know, like, gets there. And if you can, like, keep track of it and, like, keep up with it in real time. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that is exactly right. That's why, that's, uh, now that you've, you've said that, it makes a lot of sense. It's why I think that spoilers for this movie are very important and you shouldn't yeah, yeah. be listening to this now. Listeners, if you haven't, uh, if you haven't <laughs> sorry, it. listeners. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I know I jumped to the end there, um, but uh, did 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 you have uh, anything earlier in the movie that you wanted to talk about? Boy, anything earlier in the movie that I wanted to talk about? Um, I have a couple of like, I have a couple of things that I want to get in. Let me try and think of what's like first in line. Um, I guess to a certain extent, I think, uh, you know, I think that the initial setup with, like, Laramie Sullivan or whatever, like, that was pretty great. Um, oh, yeah. You know, and he, he's a vacuum salesman. And an obnoxious one. Yeah, and he's obnoxious, and they're chit-chatting in, like, the lobby, and nobody's around sort of thing. Like, it's, a, you know, if, if, you are, if you are, like, making a jigsaw puzzle out of this, like those scenes are finding the corner pieces. You know what I mean? Where it's like rooting the, you know, like this is kind of like setting the boundaries and like rooting the narrative. Um, you know, like I thought it was great when Dakota Johnson walks in and she signs her name. Fuck you. <laughs> that was, uh, uh, yeah, that yeah. was, that was pretty awesome. Yeah. The, the piece of paper is kind of like, uh, like, you know, I, not to, you know, obviously I like this movie very much, but the, uh, the piece of paper is kind of like a motif. I don't really felt work for me. It's just kind of like, oh, and yeah, there's that piece of paper again that they keep referencing, but it doesn't really resonate with me in any way. Um, then they burn it at the end. Uh, I, I feel like it was supposed to be more like like that piece of paper is supposed to hold more meaning than it did for me. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I guess I don't know what was supposed to... Like, I, like, like this is kind of what I mean when I think it's a theme-light movie. Like, yeah. I just don't really know how much the movie gave me any of that kind of shit um, yeah i think there's something in here about like the 60s and the time period because there's like a lot of touching on special aspects of the 1960s as a like oh yeah like, like a cultural, cultural moment yeah. yeah 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 and so like, like the... maybe it has something to do with that but i don't know i just I, I just don't think that's what this movie like ultimately like wants to be i think it just wants to be a really beautiful jigsaw puzzle yeah, uh, I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll talk about some of some light theming later because I do think there's a little bit um, that only shows up later when, um, when, when, uh, when Thor shows up, um, to be the the cult leader, which I thought was like, like you know, obviously the fact, like the fact that he was a cult leader was just really well telegraphed, right? Like I, you know, that storyline was kind of obvious, but like they still did his kind of like flashback scene well enough that like i thought it was i thought it was neat um uh it was it was it probably had like it had like really nice imagery if that makes sense right it reminded me a lot of far cry 5 um uh even if like you know he's just like kind of a stock cult leader um i i thought them cutting away from at that point the very kind of rainy and like dark hotel to do like this this scene in like a field that's like bright um, was 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 really neat um, and and played well with it and and his character um, I forget the name of the character was uh, 
was Billy Lee. Billy Lee, that's right. Yeah, I, I thought the character of Billy Lee like really added uh, a, a lot to the. Uh, really, added, really added a lot to, to the movie. Really, it's kind of like the the nice kind of like final touch to kind of like be like a almost like a second arc in the movie. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, so I think he's the important shift into, like, kind of, like, Act 3. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's um, absolutely right. That 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 takes place um, and kind of, like, spirals sort of, like, everything out of, you know, like, out of control. Uh, yeah. But I definitely very much agree with you. I think Chris Hemsworth is the best thing in this movie. I think all of the actors and actresses did a very good job. Um, you know, like, I read an article about how everybody took a big pay cut. Uh, just in order to get it made in the first place. And I can definitely see why, because if you're a Chris Hemsworth um, or you're a Dakota Johnson... Or you're Jeff and, Bridges. You know, yeah, like this... Well, I mean, Jeff Bridges gets meaty roles, I guess, all the time. But, you know, I, I, like, I know how you can look at a script like this and go, wow, I have to be in this movie. There's a lot to sink your teeth into. Um, just, like, from, uh, from, like, an acting point of view. But I think Chris Hemsworth is the person who... Uh, he ran. The, he ran the farthest, and had the farthest to run because he's such like a conventional movie star. Um, you know, with like Thor and stuff like that. Like you know, at the end, of, like Dakota Johnson still has Suspiria, right? Jeff Bridges has an Oscar, and he's you know he's in Coen Brothers movies and shit all the time. Um, but like Chris Hemsworth, I feel like is the person who is like. I want to do, like, an art movie that says, hey, just because I have to be a beefcake for, you know, these fucking billion-dollar Marvel movies doesn't mean that I'm not, a, like, a, an accomplished actor in my own right. Um, which was really interesting and compelling. It's funny because Chris Hemsworth kind of gets made fun of all the time in, like, the film press because he takes... He, like, he's part of these projects that never end up going anywhere. Um, like, he's a, in a bunch of uh, Ron Howard movies. Um... He's in Ron Howard's kind of Moby Dick movie, In the Heart of the Sea, which, by the way, is great, but it lost, like, $100 million. Nobody went to see it. Uh, he's in Ron Howard's um, uh, movie about race car drivers called Rush uh, that was, like, that was really good. And so people are always talking about Chris Hemsworth as, like, this, as, like, an actor apart from other, like, other of these actors. And this is the first time that I feel like I've seen what they have seen in him. Even as somebody who really likes, you know, like, I think In the Heart of the Sea was a really good movie, and I'm really glad I saw it, and I wish more people had gone to see it. Um, but, uh, but, yeah. No, that's, that's, that's fair. Um, yeah, um, there was something else I wanted to, oh, the theming, the theming around Billy Lee. So, okay, yeah. this is something I wanted to bring up, because I was looking for it, and I think I see, I saw it, right, like. His whole spiel about, um, you know, uh, the the answer is to not play the game, right? And, like, he keeps getting everybody to play the... Like, everybody gives in to him until at the end where... I don't know if this is really a theme, but, like, until at the end where Jeff Bridges just, like, while he's trying to play the game, just stands up and, like, fucking headbutts him and, like, kicks off the end of the movie. I feel like that's, like... Um, I feel like that that's the closest thing to, like, like uh, a theme it has, right? Like, don't don't play the games of petty tyrants maybe right like there's a little bit of that with like the vietnam and the nixon stuff i don't know it's it's very loose if it's anything but it's, it's... no i mean i i definitely think it's in there especially because um 
in the uh, in his scene with Rosie, he also says the same thing, where he's talking about rising above the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the people pit you, you know, like, and then he gets Rosie to fight the other the other girl. Yeah, yeah. That, that, um, that's the seed of it, and then he makes everybody play games in the parlor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I think almost everybody has an aspect of that, right? Like the um uh the 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 singer right like um has the experience with like the the the, the executive yeah producer. the producer where she doesn't play the game and yeah. so she ends up you know singing a lounge thing in reno um i think jeff bridges's quote-unquote game is prison obviously yeah um yeah although he yeah he's just a little bit his brother's dick offerman right like, i'm so sure it has he, to be yeah yeah I, I mean let me just look it up because I remember yeah, yeah. looking at that and being like, no way. Yeah, because no, it, it looks like – because he's the first character you see, right? Cause, but it's real drawn back. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah it, it is him. I'm, I'm looking at the IMDb page right now. It's, nice, nice, nice. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I, was, I, was, uh, um, I was expecting that suitcase to be more of the, the MacGuffin. Um, I was surprised it was only um, – I was surprised that it was only Jeff Bridges and uh, the singer who were kind of like going after the uh, oh, the, the money. Yeah, that, yeah that's that's money. what I meant. Like that, it was kind of like, um, uh, what is it? That, that, that it was like deceptive from its trailer, right? Because it definitely sets it up as kind of like the big deal. But like, again, you're absolutely right. It's only one of like these kind of six interweaving threads. I think that's actually where a lot of like. Like this jigsaw puzzleness, um, is really pleasant. Is that it's not actually around a central goal. It's just six interweaving stories that happen to kind of crash into each other and fuck each other up in various ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if it had been like a little bit of a treasure hunt movie, that would have been okay. Um, but I probably prefer a setup of the movie where everyone kind of has their own individual sorts of you know like goals or whatever, right? Um, Dakota Johnson is trying to get out. Uh, it's trying to get her sister out of the cult, obviously, and, you know, um, Jeff Bridges is going after the money. I, I, I didn't quite figure out what, uh, Laramie, the, what, what John Hamm's character was trying well, to... So, he's a FBI agent who had set up a recording device at the, at the hotel, um, but then he finds a bunch of other recording devices while he's taking his own out. Um, and, and you think that he's just his his thing is just taking out the recording devices? Well, he that's it? so so that's why he makes the phone call, right? He makes the phone call. It's like there's more recording devices there, and they want him to recover any remaining footage. Um, but because in the process of exploring what the fuck is up at the hotel, he sees the kidnapping, and then he goes against his orders and goes and interferes with the kidnapping, and that that's what sets everything off, right? Um, the the kidnap, like interfering with the kidnapping, causes um, causes her to shoot through the uh, the window, which uh, um, uh, which, which kind of like reveals the tunnel system behind it, where she also hits Miles in the face. Um, I guess there's all like um, like I guess technically the step where where uh, where where the singer knocks out Jeff Jeff Bridges. Uh, happens right before that, but like, like that theoretically, if if John Hamm doesn't interfere, then, um, like the like the, the the scene where where the singer knocks out Jeff Bridges happens, and maybe, 
Um, uh, and maybe that storyline resolves itself, but no, nothing else happens, right? Like that's that's the uh, that, that's kind of like the the, the the thing that causes all the storylines to collide. Yeah, 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 yeah. That definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, yeah. That that the the part with um, Darlene and Father Flynn in that bar. I thought was really interesting and compelling because you knew, like, you know, at that point that, like, this is, this is like the dramatic irony that I think makes the, like, the film so interesting and it's so enthralling, right? Like, I felt captivated by what was going on and it was just because, like, a lot of really, like, precise movements in what you knew about these characters in their situation. Because, like, yeah, if you're Darlene, you really don't have a lot of reason to suspect the father, right? But he is going to be doing something dangerous. And I, and, you know, and I could tell from a mile away, I think it was well telegraphed that, like, he was trying to drug her and stuff like that. Um, and so their whole interaction and scene in the, in the hotel lounge is probably the best one in the movie i think especially especially her popping out of her shoes just so she doesn't make a sound running across the floor i thought that was such a great detail yeah no i i absolutely agree um especially i also felt i also felt extremely cool this is part of this is part of the what i was talking about when i said that the you know that the puzzle box narrative um like it it doesn't hold your hand and it needs you to like figure shit out for yourself because it shows you her shoes in front of the jukebox when Father Flynn wakes up, right? Right. Like, the, the intro shot there is of the jukebox playing with her shoes there, and then Father Flynn wakes up. And I remember thinking, why were her shoes there? And then I was like, oh, God, she did it so that she didn't make a sound when she was, like, going to bash him in the face with the fucking champagne bottle. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. No, ab- ab- absolutely. Um, but that's, that's like... It's like the the entirety of this movie is just like weird little moments like that, right? Like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. like, like, uh, Father Flynn never. First of all, we never actually figure out what his name is, right? Because Nick Offerman refers to him as Doc, um, and uh, he refers to himself as uh, as uh, oh, as 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 uh, as Father Flynn. I assume Doc was a. Uh, was like a was a nickname, but a, but according to, to IMDb, his name is actually Doc O'Kelly, um, which actually makes it a lot sadder for me because I just assumed that like you know oh, that I thought it was a neat thing like, like you never figured found out what his name was because he couldn't remember his name in that critical moment. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I was actually really I was actually really sad to be honest because um, what I was hoping is that that Doc set up that he was a doctor and he was going to save Miles from the stab wounds. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but then that didn't happen. Yeah, but the, the the thing that rolls with that is that he never actually says he isn't a priest, right? Like before he yeah, can yeah. say it, the Billy Lee cuts him off. So you know, you know, Miles. You know, technically he's never said it, so Miles can believe he was a priest. I was also thinking that maybe the twist would be like there would be a twist there that like he actually was a priest before he got into the robbing business, and that's why he had the collar or whatever. But obviously that that didn't happen. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. But I thought that, like, I don't know. I th- I think it was probably better that he wasn't, because I think that I think that's another thing. Like uh, another, at least four miles, right? Like he, the fact that his redemption, like th- that he can go to rest, 
like I'm having trouble forming like a good thesis around it, but I like the fact that he is being redeemed by someone who's not a priest seems like it's supposed to be something, right? Like, like it's not actually important that he that you know he's forgiven in the eyes of God. He just needs to be able to live with himself, um, which is kind of like the entirety of his arc, right? And so yeah, he, he doesn't he doesn't need anybody in the sky to tell him that he's going to be fine. He just needs to, to forgive himself for what he's done in, in the war. It, it comes in a little fast because, um, ob- like, because like the, the, the kind of Vietnam piece of that is, is obviously a, a very last minute thing, but you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It obviously includes the stuff he's done at the hotel. Um, some funny moments in there too, right? Like, uh, I, I laughed really hard when, when, when he was talking about the wolf, right? Like he's like, it wasn't sexual, but it wasn't not sexual. That, that, that line killed me. Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess at that point I was, um, unsure. I don't know. I guess at that point I was kind of like unsure where things were going. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I felt for him in, in that line and a lot of the other kinds of, you know, like, uh, lines, uh, surrounding, you know, like surrounding all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, no, I, 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 obviously I've gone on about this for a couple minutes, but. The fact that they, like, he talks about all the horrible shit he's done, and in the course of explaining that, he never goes back to his time in Vietnam until he has to, until until he breaks. Um, yeah. And he never actually goes back to that, I think, for, like, we the audience know it, right? But he never actually explains that to, to any of the, uh, uh, to, to any of the characters, um, you know, it's, it's just a it's, it's just a thing that we see, which which I don't know. It's... Yeah, I'm not really sure. Um, sometimes these things are, you know, like sometimes it is a it is like a narrative shortcut sure. where you know you cut away right at someone. Where he says 123 people, then he comes yeah, to yeah. Vietnam and it cuts back. And I'm not quite sure if in the in between that in like the seconds of that cut is supposed to mean. I killed a, a bunch of people in Vietnam, um, but we're yeah. just going to like display that filmically for you, um, cinematically for you, sort of thing. Um, but you know, maybe who knows, kind of thing. Um, I, w- I was hoping that his drug addiction would play uh, would like play a part of it or something like that. I thought that that was actually a really cool, neat thing when John Hamm is like investigating the hotel and sees him like you know passed out after doing a bunch of heroin. Um, I don't know. Like, I thought that that was like that was the first moment that I was like, "Oh wow, this is like actually more of a character than yeah, yeah. I had initially into, like initially expected to see." Um, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Um, what else can we talk about with this movie? Um, God, the, yeah. Uh, what? So, uh, so the tape. The, who, who who do you think is on the tape? Do you have a do you have a theory? Do you have a fan theory? Um, uh, someone it, it's somebody who would have, who was nice to Miles. Um, I, I didn't I didn't have a good theory for that. Um, I don't know enough about the sixties. I think to have like a, a good uh, uh, a good theory for that. What, what about you? Do you do you have a theory? Uh, so my theory is that it is uh, JFK and Marilyn Monroe. I thought that that oh, was. That I, I don't sense. know that there is anything. I don't like. I don't think that there is anything um, definitive. Right. Obviously, um, but you know, 
it 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 made sense to me, and I was just kind of you know I was just I was trying to figure it out, and I thought that they might reveal it, but they never did. Um, and I thought that that made that, that definitely sense. that definitely makes sense. Um, uh, just because like you know he we know he's dead. Um, we know that like he was important enough, and that he was, and that like it would cause a big problem for him if he uh if it was released so that would make sense but i mean i kind of feel like you know the cynical side of me wants to say that it was definitely designed to kind of like spark that kind of conversation right like it's it's like yeah you know it's like the light in 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 the, it feels like he was trying to make like the he was trying to make the light in the briefcase in pulp fiction um in kind of in kind of that same way um which is fine i guess yeah uh, it's, it's not something that I would like definitively, um, I don't know. I would, I, I wouldn't want to like definitively come down on it one side or another, I guess. Yeah. Um, but that's my, but that's my fan theory. I, I think is that is it's, uh, is it's like JFK and Marilyn Monroe. Well, it's a good Especially because it's like about the '60s. It's like yeah. so so much of it is is about like the '60s and stuff like that. And that was obviously like a fixture, I guess, of um, you know popular culture and like the popular kind of consciousness was like this idea that the young president who got assassinated um, had an affair with a movie star. What else? Uh, I thought that the use of the the music by the singer was 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 good. Like, I don't know. I'm I'm a f- big fan of kind of like the music of that time period, so I recognize most of those songs. Um, I thought they were I thought they were just like really w- kind of well placed. I thought it was really clever the way they 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 did like the hiding of the of the digging up the floorboards with the uh, with the claps and whatever. I thought that was neat. Um, I also thought it was really neat when she pulled like you know. The moment where she pulls off her hair, right? Because um, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's like supposed. That's like a very visual kind of like a moment of, of character transformation. Um, we see that she goes on stage without without the wig at the very end. Uh, I thought that was really neat. Um, I thought I thought the the stuff where Jeff Bridges can't remember anything is like a real problem that he actually had it was kind of like a neat a neat a neat kind of like. Um, Subversion, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that because, like, at first I, I thought he was faking it, but then I was just like, I don't know, I went back and forth on on him faking it because um, the first couple of times you see it, it would have made sense because he's already you know lying about who he is and stuff like that um, to try and get like the money of the El Royale, um, but the, when it when it kind of like cropped up for real. You know, and he asks Darlene when they're when they're both like tied to the tied to the thing. Um, like I thought that that was like a really like humanizing, yeah, uh, like a really humanizing moment for like him and them. Um, yeah, I actually think in a lot of ways, I think some of the best tension was when you didn't quite know, and he gets in the car with Darlene, right? Because um, it's just like, boy, like he just tried to drug her, right? And now she has a gun. She just witnessed some people being killed. You know, like, if she wanted to, she could have just shot him in the fucking face. Yeah. Um, 
I don't. I, I think that's actually one of the best parts of his character is kind of like unraveling what's true and what's not, right? Like, yeah, like a little bit less, you know, obviously less dramatic, but like, uh, <laughs> like he really doesn't know anything about music because he's been in jail for like twenty years. But you know, it's like, who's this Deep Purple? You know, it's not for me, right? Like, but that's like that's also a de- like you no, know, he could have been lying about him not knowing any music, right? I can, it's like, oh, that, that, that's actually a true thing, too. He's been stuck in jail and, like, losing his mind. Uh, uh, so, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I, I think that's kind of like, that's, like I said, that's the best part of his character is unraveling what's true or not. Unfortunately, kind of, I don't know if it's really unfortunately, because it was kind of obvious that he was never a priest, but, like, that gets spoiled by the trailer. Um that he's not a like the, the moment where he says I'm not a priest is is, is in the trailer. Um, yeah, I actually see. I remember seeing the trailer, but I don't remember actually what's in it. Um, so uh, it wasn't a it wasn't something where I was like constantly referencing back to the trailer for, uh, which I think only helped me out. Like, I bet if I had watched the trailer right before going into the theater, I would have liked it less. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, uh, I don't know why it, it caught me so much, but like Jim O'Hare being in that last scene was like, that's like two Parks and Rec people randomly in this movie in various bit parts. I have to say, even if I think that, um, like, even if I think that he did a good job or anything kind of like along those lines. It is so hard to see someone from a show like that and not be like, Oh my God, you know, it's whoever it is, Jerry, Jerry, it's Dwight. It's, you know, any, any like big character from like a big, um, from like a big, big show that doesn't do a lot of other work. It always like sticks out like a, thor- a sore thumb to me. Yeah. Oh, I, I think I don't know. I think it helps that he's basically playing like, you know, obviously he has like three lines, so it's not a huge deal. But he also seems yeah. Like no, he, it's not something that you can really like get yeah. on his case for. Obviously, I mean the guy needs work and he deserves you know yeah. like, he deserves a paycheck. And, he, and, it, and it's only a problem for like the bit parts like that. I don't get mad about Aziz Ansari being Aziz Ansari and you know Master of None. I don't get mad about um, obviously. Um, uh, you know, like, oh, the, you know, like Chris, uh, um, Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt in Guardians of the Galaxy. It's not like I'm watching fucking Andy Dwyer, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but there's something about like Angela from The Office, who's like a you know like a bit part in that cast, or um, or Jerry from Parks yeah. and Rec. That's just like you're such a small piece of it, and you're not in anything else that you can't help but like draw my focus and attention. Yeah, is uh, is it worse or better that he's basically playing Jerry in this in you know in this in this three seconds that he's on screen? You know, I don't know. I do not know the answer to that question. Because <laughs> <laughs> obviously, it's supposed to be kind of like a, a, a derpy. Because you know, like it's supposed to be like Reno in that kind of like it's okay, but it's it's you know it's it's Reno type type way. Um. Uh. What did you think of? Uh, Rose's character, uh, the, the 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 younger girl. Um, I liked I liked Rosie's character a lot. Um, I think, in a way, I wanted to see more. Um, 
but maybe that's not a good answer. Um, I wanted to re- I wanted to see more, I guess, especially of her relationship to Chris Hemsworth. Uh, yeah, like I wanted to see like the two of them alone. Um, I thought I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I wanted to see just like a little bit of her relationship with her with her sister, like before the cult. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, although maybe that would have made it a little bit too tragic when, when Jeff Bridges shoots her, which is another move that I wasn't expecting. Right, like like yeah. I to- I totally expected her to like just like rage out and stab stab miles that made sense to me but <laughs> jeff is like shooting her in the fucking face <laughs> like it's it's you know it's obviously it's dark but it's like i was like wow didn't 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 see that one coming uh you know you generally don't shoot kids in these types of things yeah um yeah yeah i mean i so yeah so i guess the piece about her character that i that i wanted to get a little bit more of also was like the murders that she committed um because there's the talk about the two murders in Malibu, and then you cut to her, which I'm pretty sure is her having killed them, but I yeah. wasn't sure if it was them or the dad. Um, no, it's, it's supposed to, it's supposed to be her. That that's why she that's why Billy Lee makes the comment about like, did you tell them about what she did or whatever? Um, okay, yeah, 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 okay. That's that's what I thought. I wasn't like 100 percent positive. Um, but I feel, I guess I do feel 100% positive now. Um, and so I wanted a little bit more of that because I knew that that was going to be a MacGuffin. Even when it when it was first set up in, um, in the television thing, I was like, oh, uh, this is obviously going to come back, right? This is going to come back around. One of these people, you know, is involved with this or something like that. The funny part is, is that I saw, you know, they, they actually hold on, like, Richard Nixon talking about the Vietnam War for, like, a minute and a half. And I didn't think anything of that. And I didn't think that that would come back around. And then it obviously did with Miles. Yeah, well, I, I, I that's actually, I think, a good piece of misdirection. Because this movie is so, like, you know, this is the 60s, right? Like, you can't tell what's, like, plot relevant, what's just kind of, like, tone setting. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, like I thought it was really clever. Um, I also thought that was a neat subvert. Like I don't know, this guy seems to like do a lot of like you know. If I want to be like Red Letter Media about it, like you know, like oh, subverting expectations. Like that seemed to be his. Like uh, Drew Goddard did that in, in that was like the whole point of Cabin in the Woods. Um, and this movie has a fair number of them, but like I like they totally set up Rosie to get like a redemption arc, right? Like and then like pulled that out from from under you right like they, they they show this the like uh like her like uh what, what was her sister emily getting beaten um presumably and like they, they show the flashback there um i guess you presume like my thought was like that was going to be like you know true you know like like love for her sister wins out in the end and then it doesn't she like still badly live with billy lee and then stabs miles for killing him um and they get shot in the face um which is I don't know. I don't know how much value I give that in terms of just like being a subversion of a trope in itself. Um, But it was definitely neat, if that makes sense. Interesting. I guess I guess I had less faith in Rosie's character than that. Um, You know, like obviously she needed to be kidnapped out of the cult um, and like restrained. um, And the first thing that she did when she was awake was call Billy Lee and give her 
uh, and give him her location and stuff like that. So I, 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 I guess I expected Rosie to be, you know, crazy and lovesick and it was going to end up with like a lot of people dying. Right. I, 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 I get that. But like the, like, I don't know. I feel like the typical trope for that situation is like the, the brainwashed character, um, like, like snaps out of it when like the chips are down and like someone she cares about actually gets hurt. Right. Like, I feel like that's the very, yeah, yeah, yeah. Trope. um, and obviously that that's subverted here where she just like, she's still like, she, she doesn't care. Um, right. Like that, like that, that would have also hypothetically been a good subversion too, because like, you know, the thing that Billy Lee is talking about being bad is like one person forcing two people to play a game. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then he kind of like unironically engages in that behavior. So yeah. like hypothetically, maybe you could set that up as some kind of like a betrayal of his own sort of like false ethics. Um, yeah. You I, know, but that, that, yeah, that like, I think the, the thing that really telegraphed that setup for me and turned into subversion is when Emily says she's not yours. Right. Like, which is supposed to be this kind of like, and you know, of course, she says I'm yours, right? But like that's supposed to be kind of like the you know she has faith that Rosie will snap out of it, and she never does. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Which is really harsh commentary on kind of like I think this 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 movie maybe if it does have a central theme is a really harsh kind of like criticism of religion. Um, you know, <laughs> father, father Flint's yeah. fake. The cult leader's a piece of shit. Um, uh. Is there any? Is there anything else in there? Uh, Miles wants to be forgiven and doesn't need to. You know, like he, he needs to forgive himself. He doesn't need God to forgive him. Um, yeah, I mean, there's probably something with like Darlene getting her start as a singer in choir. Yeah. Um, you yeah, know. yeah. Um, we could. Yeah. Well, did uh? I have to. I have to say, I think I'm actually kind of sad that John Hamm's character died. Not yeah. just because I love John Hamm. Um, but I think he would have been a useful piece of the puzzle. Like, hypothetically, let's just clone John Hamm's character and let's say that there are two of him, um, but one of them dies and another one gets to con kind of continue on influencing sure. the narrative. I think that that would have been helpful and instructive in a way. Um, like, I think that there's a little something to, like... Um, I guess I guess part of it is that in the middle of the movie, right after John Hamm dies, I was still in it and I was still with it, but like I wasn't quite as with it as when I was following along with him, um, kind of along the along the narrative. Um, like the reveal that he was an FBI agent is really interesting and compelling, yeah. and like the stuff that he does to find out that there are secret rooms is is it's like really cool because it's just like blinking you'll miss a kind of shit right like yeah. where he's going toe to toe heel to toe to try and measure out the room to see if you know like there is a um, that there's a two way mirror and stuff like that. I think all that stuff was like really cool and really kind of like complex and in a, in a certain sense I almost kind of like wanted to see that character continue moving through you know like continue moving through the plot. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that's kind of maybe why I thought that he was going to come back because like I don't know if it, it feels like the FBI thread got dropped pretty hard, right? Yeah. Like I, I thought that might have more to do with like the the eventual consequences of the movie, right? Like you could have even still had that pick back up by like having the FBI show up at the end, like at, at the end of the bloodbath, right? Uh, yeah. Um. Uh, since they hadn't heard from him or whatever. 
Um, uh, although, he, like again, he's he's the one that tears all of like the 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 pieces out of the car, uh, so that no one can escape. Um, yeah, yeah, it is kind of a shame that he that he's just there to kind of be like the the uh, the, the the inciting incident. And he's and it's a good like death, obviously. See, yeah. And I think that like, and I was like. I was like, holy shit, you know? Yeah. Like, if there's anything that is a testament to this movie, it was the moment where I wasn't sure if he was going to die or not, you know? It made sense in retrospect that he was going to get killed and that obviously he was going to get killed. And in a way, I sort of think of myself as being stupid for not going. He was 100% going to die there, buddy, right? Like, what else are you going to do with that narrative? How is he going to get out alive? And if he does get out alive, right, how are you going to continue to, like, ratchet the tension? Is this just going to become, like, a game of cat and mouse between, like, him and Dakota Johnson? That's not what this movie is clearly set up to be. Um, But in the moment, I was really not sure. I was, like, really with the tension and with the drama um, of him and what he was doing. So, yeah. That's probably like one of the best compliments I can give yeah. the movie. You know what? That, that's that's another subversion there, right? Like you know, they they very clearly highlight don't you know like he says you know don't get involved, right? Like don't yeah. interfere, and then he does it anyway because that's what heroes does, and then he gets shot fucking dead. Um, yeah, you know, like that's that. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Know. I feel like I don't know. I still, I still really like the movie, obviously, but it's, I, I'm just like seeing all these things. They're like really intentional subversions while, while giving another thought. It's like, eh, it, I guess it is a little bit heavy handed, but you know, it's to just, a certain, yeah, I mean like to a certain extent, I think that these subversions are necessary in order to create a film that is driven by, um, that is like driven by its plot just because like plots are so predictable. Right. Um, you know, like something I've talked about before is like how we are a media savvy culture, right? We watch a lot of stories. We understand on like a very basic guttural level what stories look like and how they unfold. And so if you're going to make a movie whose prime purpose, right, is to engage you not on a this is what, you know, like these are all of my metaphors, right? Or this is an interesting you know, and complex character that feels really real. Or, you know, this is a bunch of the CGI blow-ups, right? If you're going to if you are going to keep somebody enraptured with with the the minute to minute of okay, what's going to happen next? You really need to engage in a lot of this kind of like subversion of expectation and stuff, I feel like, because otherwise people just figure your shit out. And I think that thing, that feeling that I just described is probably what you're going for, right? In the moment, you want people to go, I have no idea what's going to happen, what's coming next, right? But afterwards, you want them to go, you know what, that made the most sense and I should have seen it coming. That's like the satisfying. That's that's the that's like the the definition of like a satisfying twist ending, right? When you look back over it and you say, "I could have seen it coming. I saw the clues, but I missed them," right? And so, like that's why it's the like that's why it's satisfying kind of thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a little weird too because it's like you're misled by kind of like your garden path expectation that like the kind of expected unreality is going to pull through if that makes sense right like that the like doing the quote-unquote right thing is going to result in kind of the plot resolution even though it's against you know even though it's against all odds right like um 
the hero's triumph. Um, it's like, well, w- what if you were in a place where, like, the odds, like, being against all odds meant you actually lost most of the time, um, rather than a movie where, like, being against all odds, you know, being against all odds might as well mean that you're you're guaranteed to succeed, kind of kind of deal. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you um, like Drew Goddard's other stuff? Like, did you? Like I like Cabin. Cabin in the Woods? I like Cabin in the Woods. Okay. I, I was kind of like whatever on on Daredevil season one. I think I enjoyed it, but I uh, no, I thought Jessica Jones was too long. Daredevil might have been too long, too. Um, yeah, I feel like that's all of these Marvel shows that are like three episodes too long. And what, what was the uh, other one? Uh, Cloverfield. Oh, Cloverfield. Um, Cloverfield, I didn't like, but for physiological reasons it made me... oh did you get sick yeah. yeah that's also why i really didn't like cloverfield i got i literally got motion sick in the theater and i like wanted to barf well, I, I, uh, I i i could i sat through the whole thing but i had to like keep looking down and looking up like it was it, yeah. was, it was kind of miserable uh, i bet you know i i, I want to see it again outside of the context of a movie theater to a certain extent to kind of like judge it i also remember it feeling a little bit like rote and hacky yeah um like I was excited by the prospect of a, you know, um, of, like, this kind of disaster movie found footage thing. Uh, but I felt like they really didn't go an interesting direction with it. Um, because, like, they were following, like, oh, fucking this kid is going to go see his girlfriend or whatever. And, like, that just seems like very screenwriter 101 to me. I think the interesting thing would have been to kind of, like, break away from that kind of just conventional, you know... I don't know, like, it, it's such a conventional movie plot, and maybe it doesn't yeah. get made with, like, a more unconventional movie plot, but I remember being a little bit disappointed by that, where it's like, oh, we're gonna do, like, this hyper-realistic, you know, we're gonna pretend that it's found footage, and we're gonna give it a code name, Operation Cloverfield, or whatever it's called, yeah. sort of thing, um, but, uh, but yeah, I also thought that it was so stupid that the thing that you see... I remember being really mad about this at the time. That like the thing you see falling from the sky is not the alien, but it's a meteor that wakes up the alien, which is deep under the ocean and has been under the ocean, but not even the ocean. It's just the Hudson River, and I'm like, we know what the bottom of the Hudson River looks like. Yeah, you know, I don't know. like yeah. that made me so mad. Like afterwards. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't remember too much about the movie. Um, I was I, I just remember being sick, and I also remember the monster design leaking beforehand, and like that was supposed to be part of the mystique of it. Is you didn't really get a good look at the monster, um, and then like I saw a picture, it was like, oh, I remember seeing the picture of the monster, being like, that's a cool monster design, before even knowing what the the movie that the movie existed. And then, oh, really? Yeah. Um, if yeah. showed up, it showed up online. I think I think this was like when we were in high school, right? So like, I think I think I saw it on like 4chan. <laughs> um, <laughs> in the battle days, yeah, um, yeah. Um, uh, so you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I also didn't like Cabin in the Woods, but that that is for like the subversion thing. I think Cabin in the Woods is very mean to horror movies, and in a, in a lot of ways, is like it's just like a very mean spirited movie because it's like making fun of and like it feels like it's calling a lot of like horror movie sort of classic structural things um bad and stupid and it's like bullying them in a way like i really hate the moment where uh like the chris hemsworth character is like okay 
you know, we will, we need, we need to stick together. And then the guys in the control center were like, oh man, you know, like that doesn't make any sense. Ah, it's going to be so hard to kill him if they stick together. So they like gas him and he's like, wait, no, no, we need to, to split up. And like the whole point of that is to like show how stupid it is that in horror movies, people split up. And it's just like, you know, come the fuck on. Yeah. People split up when they want to like cover more ground. It makes sense just because, you know. I, I don't know. It's it's like the same sort of like bad faith plot hole thing that we talked about a couple of casts ago yeah. to me where like at some point you're, you know, these people don't know they're in a horror movie, right? So, you know, like those kinds of criticisms always land very flat for me. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I feel like that was kind of the, the, the point though, right? Like I really enjoyed the part where it was like a ritualization of like these horror stories is kind of like the American tradition. Like, and the, they, they show the, the various other international versions. Yeah, like the Japanese tradition and the yeah. Italian tradition or yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, I thought that was neat. And, like, I don't know. I, I think that those criticisms are fair because, like, I think horror movies are schlocky. And that's kind of part of their appeal, right? Like, I don't know. I thought, um, what was it? Drag Me to Hell was the funniest movie I saw that summer. Um, and uh, for a long time, I didn't know if that was on purpose or not, right? Like, that's a Sam Raimi film. Um, um, and, like, it's a, it's ostensibly a horror film, but I think part of the enjoyment is that they are so schlocky. Um, even though, like, kind of, like, the text is that, um, is, is that, like, this is supposed to be terrifying. Sometimes the subtext in those movies is that this is kind of silly. Um in a way, I like you know, it, it, it's 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 a lot of cheap. At least, kind of like the the that era of horror, right? Like the the you know, like the 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 best of the worst type movies, type you know, type things. Um, there are a couple of like good ones, but a lot of them are 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 good on their ironic enjoyment value rather than on their like text, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've never seen Drag Me to Hell, but I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. Uh, and I can see why that, I guess, that is a very, like, like setup. And also, it's, it's hard to tell with Sam Raimi just because of, like, the schlocky kind yeah. of, like, goodness of, like, Evil Dead. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, but uh, to bring I don't know. Back... I'm, also not, I'm also not much of, like, a horror film guy. And I, though I do yeah. have to say that I think the subversion, I think there's some, there is something very clever in Cabin in the Woods, which is the subversion of the, um, uh... Like the the virgin stoner thing, yeah. Um, there's a really good YouTube uh, video essay about this by Movies with Mikey where he kind of explains that. And it's not something that I caught the first time, but like the core problem in Cabin in the Woods is that they fucked up who the virgin was and who like the whore character was um, because um, the the guys like the guys in the booth were expecting. The, like expecting people to play to the tropes that they looked like, but they didn't actually embody or whatever. And so that's the reason that they end up failing um, because they like miss, you know, like they misdiagnose who is what in that kind of like five man band. So I think, you know, there is, there is good stuff. It's very interesting, but boy, it all, it really got on my nerves. Like kind of like, I, I you know, that. like yeah. mean spirited takedown that I that I felt like it was to a certain extent, um, yeah. which is why it was so surprising when I came out of this movie and I was like, Jesus Christ! Is, is this supposed to be so like a, a, a takedown of a particular style of movie that I'm just unfamiliar with? See, I don't think it is. I think yeah. it is just a. It is 
the, like so there are takedowns of this particular style of movie and they are called all Quentin Tarantino movies sure. and they are yeah, all yeah. built exactly like this and this is built like that but it doesn't have any of the takedown aspects of it right in the sense that you know like Inglorious Bastards is my favorite Tarantino movie and it's a big takedown of these kind of like glory war movies um, like the whole setup for Inglorious Bastards is you are cheering the bastards as they are running around killing Nazis and then the end of the film Adolf Hitler is sitting in a movie theater watching a Nazi kill Americans and he, it, it's that juxtaposition right yeah, yeah. and the movie is going you are just like Hitler <laughs> and you should feel bad about it right um, which I think is really clever and like yeah, super yeah, interesting yeah. right and, uh, um, and you know, in the same way that, like, so, for instance, uh, there's actually a really great piece on this by, like, now-disgraced film critic Devin Faraci about how The Hateful Eight... Did you ever watch The Hateful Eight? I have. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, in The Hateful Eight, this is kind of a spoiler. I'm sorry. It's three years old. Um, in The Hateful Eight, Sam Jackson is carrying a letter from Abraham Lincoln um, because he was a freed slave who became, like, a cavalry commander or something like that in, uh, in like, the Union Army. Um, and there is a white character who is really who finds that so cool and he wants to see the letter and it's, like, legendary and stuff like that. And then you find out that the letter is fake, right? Um and that's like a deep criticism of the way this is the kind of the deep criticism of the kind of like you know liberal voter who voted for obama as like a statement that racism is over right um where you know you think that you are no longer subject to kind of like uh, the forces of racism as soon as you make this kind of like grand gesture sort of thing. Um, and like the falseness of that letter embodies that kind of like, you know, that kind of idea. And that's just one aspect of that movie, right? Obviously it's a Western and has all these other Western kind of like tropes dealing with it. Um, the person that Sam Jackson teams up with to beat the big bad in that movie is the Confederate officer that he has been feuding with this entire time kind of thing. Um, so, you know, Anyway, the point is, is that I don't think that I don't think that there is a lot of that stuff here in uh, Bad Times at the El Royale. I think it is just played straight and played smart, um, and it doesn't need to rely on kind of like meta trickery, like postmodern trickery, yeah. in order to um, in order to be good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's interesting too, because like, I don't know. I felt like I really like style, like very like kind of stylized movies, right? I like Tarantino, I like Wes Anderson, um, I like Coen Brothers, um, and I felt like this movie was like that, but it really wasn't. I was like, like, is it moderately stylized? I'm just like picking up on it. Wrong. I was like, it, it felt like it was trying to kind of like evoke that feeling, without actually being stylized in that way. If that makes sense. Huh. What do I think about that? What do I think about that? I don't know. I think it is um cuz like the, like the El Royale itself, right? Like it's like yeah. oh, this is like some like goofy fairy tale place built on the state line, but like it's kind of just like really just like a cheesy establishment that you might actually find in real life. Um, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like a dumb gimmick like that. Um, I don't know. I, I think that there are definitely some pieces of it, some of the way the shots are framed. Um, there's a lot of frames that are split down the middle with the line between California and Nevada that I thought were 
um, you know, like kind of stylized. Um, the movie was lensed um, by a guy named Seamus McGarvey, who is a well-known cinematographer. He's in a lot of um, he's in a lot of you know big movies. He did The Avengers is probably the biggest one, but he also did um, Godzilla, Fifty Shades of Grey, right? And then like arty movies, um, you know, something like uh, Nocturnal Animals, right? Um, or, you know, like the greatest showman or whatever. So I feel like it definitely has that kind of, um, it definitely has that kind of look to it. Uh, it's not, it's not shot like a television show. Um, it's shot like a movie, which, you know, is a good, is, which, which is a good thing, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I definitely I definitely liked it a lot. I thought I thought the neon light was was good even in the rain. Even though, my, probably the thing that was most unrealistic about this movie was that, that level of downpour rain happening in California. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah ha- like, happening on the on the on the California Nevada border. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess the El Royale is supposed to be by Lake Tahoe. Oh, like yeah, Tahoe so that might make more sense. Or something. Yeah. Um, but I, I just assume that that is very desert, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, it's pretty funny. Um, yeah. Uh, I've never been to Lake Tahoe, have you? I have not been to Lake Tahoe, no. But uh, anyway, that is that is my, my our, our spiel, I guess, about um, bedtimes at yeah, the El Royale. Royale. Yeah. All right, so how was your week? Uh, my week was good. Uh, I'm trying to think of, like, the stuff that I, that I have been doing. I've been playing a lot of WoW, obviously. I'm still deep in that, in that Battle for Azeroth train. I'm very hyped for BlizzCon, which is coming out, uh, which is coming out next week. Well, it's happening Um, now, right? Oh, wait, it's happening now? Oh, wait, is it this weekend or next weekend? Well, the, the, uh, it started last weekend, but it was all, like, tournaments and stuff, uh, I don't know. Oh if... my god! Yeah, you're right. Yeah, wow! It's this weekend. For some reason, I thought it was next week. Holy shit! BlizzCon is this week. I'm so excited. <laughs> I did not buy the. Uh... <laughs> I did not buy the um, like the BlizzCon pass or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the pass this year came with a demo for uh, Classic WoW, um, and I really did. I, I like. I really debated. The pass was super expensive. It was like fifty dollars um, to play the the WoW Classic demo. Um, but I, but I really do want to go back and play classic WoW just because we've talked about it a whole bunch on the cast and I'm like, I'm really excited just to see if like we were wrong. Yeah, we, yeah, we, uh, yeah, yep. That's it. We were wrong about it basically. (laughs) Um, I, I guess we'll see. I, I, I can't imagine like, I don't know. I feel like if I if I'm gonna be more cynical about it now, just because like I've been following some of this stuff, I feel like, um, what is it that like? There's a couple of like these Kickstarter MMOs that are uh come that that are like kind of rolling through right like, um, Dark Age. There's like a Dark Age of Cam- Camelot spinoff. There's Ashes of Creation. There's Crowfall. Um. There's probably a couple more. There's like Chains of Valyria, I want to say. There's like a bunch of these games that are kind of like, you know, you know, saving the MMO genre from itself type garbage. Um, uh, that I think, like, if the cynic me wants to say that beyond the technology stuff that happens, like Blizzard's like, well, we bet we better 
grab our own piece of this pie before we steal it from ourselves type of stuff, right? Like, um, of this, you know, people who want to play like the old style uh, MMOs. Um, uh, but I don't know. I, I'm, I'm interested to see too. Let me know if, if that happens. What has anything great been happening in WoW since that's all you've you've been doing for a while? And uh... Uh, I guess the greatest thing that's been happening in uh, uh, in like the we like we're learning more a lot more about Classic WoW. Uh, one of the big things about Classic WoW is that they are doing upgraded uh, like graphics and features. So like stuff like view distance and ground clutter, you're you're getting much more of it. Um, and, uh, and I think that that stuff makes like a real difference, but you're not getting the new character models, which might actually be a break moment for me. I was really hoping that they would have at least like a setting that you can toggle, right. um, where you can like choose between the old shitty models and the new good models. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, huh. I mean, like in, in regular WoW, is, is there anything new and, uh exciting uh have you heard have we talked about the new raid uh no not really okay so so this is actually kind of the coolest thing about like the next patch that's coming out is the new raid is like called the battle for dazara lore and it is the alliance show up to the to the zuldazar and they ascend the pyramid to go um like cut off you know like the zandalari fleet and all this other kind of and all this other kind of stuff and so it's a nine boss raid that gets told in like three three boss chunks um there is a there are three bosses that both sides share right um that are mechanically identical even if like the models and stuff change so like you might be fighting the, i think there's one group called like the Lightbringers, which is a pair of paladins um for Horde side, the Paladin's like a dwarf and a human. For Alliance side, it's a Blood Elf and a Tauren or something like that. Um, there's a jungle ape. There's like a big giant ape that you that you have to fight. Uh, for the Horde, you fight the ape and then it dies. And then for the Alliance, Bonsamdi brings the ape back to life as a as a zombie. Um, and he and he fights back or kind of like or whatever. Um, and this is sort of like 8.1 spoiler territory. If any of you are WoW people and you're listening and you've been able to keep yourself unspoiled, just mute the podcast for the next two minutes. Um, the and, and it ends with King Rastakhan for the Alliance. You go, you fight King Rastakhan, and then you kill him. Um, so he dies in the, the battle for Dazara lore. And then um, the next three bosses are the Horde chasing the Alliance out of the city. Um, and so you fight... Gelbin Mechatork and somebody else, and then you fight Jaina, who is the final boss of the, um, who's like the final boss of the raid. But the cool thing is, is that so if you're Horde, right, you start and you fight your first three bosses, and then you talk to like a Horde scout that saw, quote unquote, saw the Alliance fight their bosses, and then you fight as the Alliance. Okay. Like you'd you'd like race change. And, like, you fight as part of the flashback. So you, as a Horde player, will, will, you know, kind of, like, take on, you know... I, like, as a Torn warrior, I become a Draenei warrior when I'm fighting Rastakhan or whatever. And then if you're Alliance, you will talk to an Alliance scout who details what the Horde did fighting back. Um, but, yeah, so the... Uh, but, so, the thing that I find very cool about this is that these aren't just, like, made-up bosses out of nowhere... Where it's like, oh, here's, you know, here's the Titan raid, and we're going to have to put in a bunch of shit 
in here to make things like interesting for you, right? Um, these are like named characters, right? You are fighting Gelbin Mechatork, the gobbler, or sorry, the gnome racial leader since the very beginning of WoW. Um, you're fighting Jaina. You're fighting Rastakhan. Um, you you kill so Gelbin and Jaina. I you do not kill Jaina. I think. It is unclear what you do with Gelbin. Um, at first, it looked like you didn't kill Gelbin um, because there was a bunch of data mine text about how he had, like, pilot learning operational Titan armor, which is plot armor. Right, um, right. But then it turns out that the plot armor is actually from a completely unrelated thing. It's from, like, questing in the war campaign. Um, so, yeah, maybe we kill Gelbin Mechatork here. Um, it's, it is currently unclear. Um <laughs> But, I think I just think that's really funny because Gelbin's like the least important alliance leader. Um, no, I mean, yeah, he definitely is, and everything. He like finally that. got like he finally got into a cutscene in Legion just to be killed in the next expansion. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, I really, to be honest with you, I really hope that we kill him just because I will feel really gypped if uh, if both like alliance like leaders that we end up fighting as part of this raid like escape it by the skin of their teeth kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like, right. Like, I think that that is just the coolest thing because like it ties in so explicitly with the goings on of the world. Um, you know, like these are not small characters that are set up only inside of the expansion or whatever. These are like I real mean, named characters with like a long history in wow that you're sure. fighting. I mean, Rustican kind of is. Yeah. I mean, okay. Yeah. That, that is fair. I mean, we like Rustican is a little bit like like Xavius or something like yeah. Deathwing, right? Where, you know, there is evidence of him, but it's very like small evidence, piecemeal evidence kind of, um, you know, sprinkled sort of throughout. Um, but, uh, but yeah. yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, that's interesting. Well, I guess, I guess like I was, I was wondering when like, kind of like the Ross pledges himself to Baron Samdi kind of plot line would pay off. I guess it's like very soon. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, especially because the, um, especially because Talanji, um, is, like, such a major character and is, like, clearly so good, I guess, by, um, uh, is clearly so good at, like, running the kingdom or whatever. Like, uh, basically, like, one of the themes of the different uh, uh, the different quest lines that all happen for the Horde side is kind of how Rastakhan hasn't been a very good king because he's sort of just been, like, blinded to it and those things, like, came home to roost um, in Zandalar forever. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Neat. Um, anything else? Uh, no, I guess that's it. I mean, they, they keep, like, rebalancing stuff like that, but we talked about a whole bunch of that stuff last week, so I'm not going to belabor yeah. that point here. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I've got some stuff to talk about. It's a little bit less since it's been shorter than our normal time between episodes. Um, I did go and see another movie. I saw mid-90s, uh, Jonah Hill's, I believe it's his directorial debut. That's Nate, yep. 24 Pictures. Um. It's a weird movie. Um, I don't want to say it was good. Um, I don't want to say it was bad either. Um, I was discussing with my... I went and saw this with my brother. I was discussing with him. It's a skater movie. Um, my brother was very much into that culture, and I wasn't. 
Um, so he definitely appreciated the parts of that re- that resonated with him. Um, and there's some kind of like coming of age stuff in there that I think is generally applicable. But um, we both kind of agreed that like they didn't like it was kind of like weird and artsy, but like not weird and artsy enough that they abandoned all plot structure. Um, so like you know, and, and like it was like kind of veering towards like call me by your name territory for me, and that like it was just kind of like you know what is this like what is actually happening here and why do I care? Um, but then they they had some aspects of that, but like so little of it that like it also was unsatisfying for that angle. So I, uh, the way I put it is, I think they had the exact wrong mix of that kind of stuff, right? Like too little plot structure to be um to, to kind of like be really satisfying from a traditional narrative point of view and too much to like really capture that art house vibe in a satisfying way um it's definitely different it's definitely a 90s nostalgia trip um in a lot of ways right like even like i said even though i wasn't a skater person like i caught a lot of that um um a lot of stuff that like i don't know uh, caught me in like a a, a, a weird way just because like you know there's there's a lot of um how do i put this language from the 90s that they use vociferously um uh that uh that you know i hadn't heard in a long time but definitely was relevant uh you know various slurs for uh for gay people and and uh for uh less less mentally able people um that got thrown around a lot um in that time period and in the movie so it really felt authentic from that from that kind of perspective that's um, very cool. I feel like we're getting, we're getting a lot of these movies because there's also Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade that yeah. just came out. That's kind of uh, in that like similar vein. Yeah, but that, that's more modern, right? Like that's like a a, a social media. Yeah. Thing. Okay. That's yeah, that's true. true. I just mean I just mean in the sense of kind of like he's like slice of life. Oh yeah, kind yeah, of, yeah. You know. Yeah. Um. Uh, it's yeah. it's like Lady Bird from last yeah. year. I feel like you you wouldn't like it because it like it, it it also kind of reminded me of kind of like like the like mumble Corey type stuff. It, it, it's a very, oh, yeah, it, man. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a weird movie. There are some good moments. Um, and you know, um, it's got some other weirdness to it too. Like, um, spoilers for mid nineties, but there's a scene in the middle where like the main character who's like, looks like he's like 10 or 11, like has, it's not like a, a, a sex scene, but he has like, you know, implied sexual intercourse with like a 15 year old. It's just really weird. Um, and like, I, I just kind of like recoiled at it kind of reflexively and I don't know what the point of it was supposed to be. Like, it didn't feel like meaningful or anything. Um, oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it was, it was different. Um, but you know, I can't say I recommend it. If you're a skater person, maybe you go see it because you'll get a lot of the nostalgia hits there. Um, but otherwise, I, w- I could give it a pass. Um, what else did wow. you do? Um, yeah, that's that's rough. Uh, man, I also have been watching movies, but I'm trying to remember what movies I watched this week. Um, sorry, so, uh, so one movie I saw this week that's recent is Sorry to Bother You. Have you heard about this movie? Uh, no, I haven't, I don't think. So, Sorry to Bother You is the directorial debut of a guy named Boots Riley, um, who's a rapper from Oakland. Oh, oh, is, is this the movie where, like, it's the call center and the guy puts on the white voice that's, like, a different Yeah, actor? yeah, it's yeah. the call center and the guy puts on the white voice and it's David Cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it, it but I saw the previews. I'm not going to spoil it here. I am... 
I think this movie is good. Uh, I like this movie. I think this movie is good. It is very weird. And it definitely has, like, weird problems associated with it. But it's, like, it's one of those movies that's, like, rated on a scale of one to five. And I'm, like, Apple. Like, <laughs> it just becomes, it's so off the wall. Um, you might not like this movie because it's pretty explicitly socialist. Like, part of it is, like, the the fight for the telemarketers to create, a, um, like, a union for themselves against, like, these, ugh, it's a whole thing. Um but uh, and and Boots Riley has made no like he has made no uh, aspersions otherwise he's been going on places and talking about like how capitalism needs to end or whatever um and from like an allegorical place i guess i sort of get it uh though i don't really know how well or how poorly the movie sort of makes its point just because it's so fucking out there it's so crazy um it's a movie that starts in a very, like, weirdly normal and down-to-earth place, and there are a couple of, like, small things that seem a little bit off and seem a little bit dystopian, and then those things pay off later in the movie, and you just, like, end up in this situation where you're like, what the fuck, how the fuck did we get here? How are we talking about whatever we're talking about sort of thing? Um, so, so, sorry to bother you. Um, I also continued watching these, like, legal dramas. I don't know why. I don't know why, why I ended up doing this. Um... And I saw The Rainmaker. Have you ever heard of this movie? Uh, no, I haven't. Yeah, so The Rainmaker is interesting because it is actually apparently the least famous of these, um, of like th- this. So John Grisham is a, it's like a, a paperback writer who makes um, movies that are a lot like this, uh, that, like legal dramas. And he's famous for a movie called The Pelican Brief and The Firm. Um, the Pelican Brief being a Denzel Washington movie and The Firm being a, I think, Tom Cruise movie. Um, and I know of both of these movies, but I haven't watched them either. Um, the Rainmaker is Danny DeVito and Matt Damon uh, in, like, 1997, but it's directed by Francis Ford Coppola, of all people. Huh. And it's very well directed, too. I was really surprised because, like, you know, everybody talks about how Francis Ford Coppola kind of, like, fell off after, like, Godfather 3 and, stu- and stuff like that. But, like, no, like, this is, like, really well done. Um, and, uh, and and it tells the story of a kind of, like, small town, um, uh, like, in Memphis, Tennessee, like, a, you know, a guy who, a, a lawyer who's fresh out of law school, barely passes the bar. Um, and he kind of ends up in this giant case against an insurance company that essentially refused to honor its, um, uh, the claims of, um, one of its clients, like one of its customers, right? Uh, and like a kid dies because of it. And so like, it's, it's a small town kind of like underhanded lawyer going up against like a big sleek law firm, which is kind of like, you know the DNA of, like, Better Call Saul, which I have said elsewhere on the cast that this is, that Better Call Saul is the best television show that is currently on television. Um, and it's him and then his paralegal, who's Danny DeVito, who are kind of, and so it's like a David and Goliath story, but it is also very wonky, which is why I actually recommend that you should watch it. And I think okay. it's free on both, um, I think it's on Amazon Prime and Hulu right now. Um, because, like, they are exploiting, like, the side of the law that, like, the big guys never think of or never have to deal with. Um, so, like, there's this whole bit about, like, evidence that's been stolen and, like, can you use stolen evidence yeah, or whatever. Yeah, tree, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so, and so they know 
because they, you know, like they come from this law firm that's like process, that's like defending, you know, strip club owners or whatever that you can, and then they use that, and then John Voight, who plays like the the um, the other attorney, like the big sleek attorney, is like co- totally caught off guard. But it's a lot more wonky than some of the other sort of like legal dramas are. Um, you know, like uh, like a few good men is at the end of the day not a very legal movie it doesn't really like stand up to like legal scrutiny um and is kind of more like sort of like moralizing in a way yeah, um, yeah. whereas this is like well let's you know like let's play through the loopholes to see what you know to see what we can see kind of thing uh so i have a question for you because we've been talking about these legal movies for a couple of weeks now but i haven't yeah. heard you mention the best legal movie of all time but i have on good authority is actually fairly accurate to the legal system have you watched the uh, the most the, the, the seminal legal f- picture, My Cousin Vinny? <laughs> no, I haven't. I thought you were going to say Legally Blonde for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. That's just, I was like, what is like a good, like, what is like a trashy legal movie that I can think of? And Legally Blonde is the only one that, that occurs to me, which I think is, that case is one because she can like prove that somebody didn't take a shower because they had a perm. Something like that. Like, yeah, yeah. What? Uh, no, I have not watched My Cousin Vinny, though I now want to. I've been watching things that are, um, uh, I've been watching things that are like free on, uh, on like Hulu and like Netflix and stuff like that. Yeah, so My Cousin Vinny is not free, unfortunately. Yeah, you, uh, but I might rent it because you should see it at some I point. Don't know. I don't know. This is My Cousin Vinny. I, I've seen, I, I've seen My I saw My Cousin Vinny when I was like a kid, when I was yeah. like 10. On television yeah. in parts? Yeah. 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 100%. So this is actually, okay. So this is actually part of what I find so interesting about um, Teen Titans Go. Because, have I ever told you this? There is an episode that is entirely built around a My Cousin Vinny reference. Really? Because Brother Blood... Yeah, okay, so this is what happens. The Teen Titans go are fighting Brother Blood, and they cause all of this, like, ridiculous cartoonish property damage, right? And Brother Blood takes them to court, and it's like, you guys caused all of this property damage. (laughs) And they obviously did, but they're, like, trying to figure out how to get out of it. And... Raven gets on the stand and does a Marissa Tomei impression, like impression from My Cousin Vinny, <laughs> and it's like a three-minute extended reference. And I'm sitting there watching and laughing my ass off, and I'm like, "What child gets this? What five-year-old kid in 2018 is watching Teen Titans Go and laughing as Raven is talking about tire tracks in a New York accent?" And I was just like freaking out because it doesn't make any sense. Does it not make yeah, any yeah. sense, Mango? Though the best part about that is that after Raven finishes her thing, everybody looks at the judge and he just slams the gavel and goes, guilty! And then it cuts to black. <laughs> but yeah, My Cousin Vinny, what the fuck? Yeah, that is a very TV movie. It's, uh... Yeah, yeah, I don't, boy, I don't know what why. TV movie that is. It, it, does, it does fall into the the, the tip. There, there is there's the formula for this, which is that, um, or like where, where the end stage is, is they win the case because of specialized knowledge on the part of, like, you know, the person you expected to fail miserably because there's, like, some punk, right? And they just happen, you know. Yeah. Like, that's that, that's that's usually the, 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 the vector, and, and this definitely has that. This might actually be, like, the trope. No, it's definitely not the trope created for because I do remember there's, uh, there's, like, a sunny, not sunny days, a happy days um, episode where that's also the case, where, like, the Fonz is on a journey. I think it's supposed to be a 12 Angry Men 
reference or something, but the Fonz is on a jury, mm-hmm. and like, um, there's oh my god, <laughs> what a what a what a Happy Days pitch! All right, so it's Fonzie, but he's on the jury, <laughs> and and he turns he he figures out the guy's innocent because he knows that when you that like. The, the claim is that the person, like, rode away holding, like, the person's handbag in the air with, like, their left hand. And he's like, hey, he was riding a, like, Holly 257. And the accelerator's on, on the hand that he said that he was holding it with. So it was impossible. We have to avoid it. <laughs> and for good measure, yeah. the, guy, the guy that's being accused is black. So it's, like, Fonzie shaking hands with, like, a black dude in, like, a, a scene of racial uh, r- racial unity. I, the, Racism is solved, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Solved racism. And that's yeah, why Ron Howard discussed Twelve discuss, Angry Men? I, mean, I know I talked about Twelve Angry Men uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, because that's kind of... I mean, really what started is Better Call Saul. Like, at first I saw Better Call Saul and I was like, all right, I should watch some of these, like, lawyer movies in a way. Because I, I feel like that's something I'm not super up on. So I watched uh, Twelve Angry Men. And in Twelve Angry Men, they don't follow the law pretty well either. Because there are a couple of plot points... Um, where like they keep saying beyond a reasonable doubt right um to excuse like this kid uh or whatever of like the murder um uh of like the murder of his dad or something like that but like beyond a reasonable doubt isn't what it says it is like reasonable doubt is like five percent if you are 95 percent sure that something took place then that's beyond a reasonable doubt um, or whatever, like from like a legal standard, right? Yeah. That's about how, that's about my, how much it goes. My, my, but like uh, in 12 Angry Men, they're like, oh, well, it could have been anybody. And like they call that yeah, reasonable I mean, my, doubt. My, my law professor, how did my law, my, my law professor in, in college said that like beyond a reasonable doubt is like what it's like 1% if you're the prosec, if you're the, no, it's, it's like one percent if you're the prosecution, like five percent if you're the defense, right? Like, but with the mm. point being that, like, um, you're like that's the way it's pers- like the the like you know, you will claim one way, but it will actually practically be the other way. But that's you know, it it is not a hard legal con. I don't th- I don't think it's actually a numerical legal concept. I could be wrong about that. I I, I obviously yeah no yeah yeah yeah. yeah. It, it is definitely it is definitely like that sort of like one to five percent yeah, sort yeah. of thing. Uh, um, but like the way Twelve Angry Men plays it is it's like. As long as you can make up some kind of, like, fantastical reason why this person fell on his own knife. Um, yeah, You no. know, like, whatever. The, the other thing is, is that new evidence gets introduced in the jury room. Yeah. Um, that, that's because, like, a- like the, that yeah, it's like the famous one, right? The guy pulls out the same knife and puts it down, and he's like, I bought that for $6 around the corner or whatever. Um, which you're not allowed to do, obviously, as jury. Uh, though there is some stuff in there that I thought was like kind of interesting, where they like kind of think through. They do that thing where they like think through the testimony that they got, um, and uh, and they kind of line up and sort of prove that the people who are eyewitnesses in this case uh, really could not have been as sure as they presented themselves to be. Um, and so you know, it's a classic or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But um, if you if you guys at home are actually interested in. Uh the workings of like the real legal system. I, I personally am, am a big fan of the Supreme court stuff and I have a lot of faith in the, in, in, in the SCOTUS, but um, it doesn't always translate down into like, into like everyday courtrooms. And if you want to hear a bunch of stuff about that, the latest season of serial isn't like a, a, uh, a single case like they did for their first two seasons. It's um a series of encounters in, uh, uh, I think it's like a Cincinnati 
courtroom or not courtroom, but like a the Cincinnati legal system and a bunch of different kind of things for like justice is kind of like not as 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 blind as we'd want it to be. Um, it's very it's very interesting. It's very good. So I'd highly recommend that. Uh, what what do you mean by justice is not as blind as it's meant to be? Uh, Just like like it, there's it's not like it's not out and out corruption, right? It's not like I mean there's a couple of examples of that, but it's not like it's usually not like you know somebody like lying about something it's like like judges using their discretion in a way that like you probably wouldn't approve of right but they have all the power so you don't have any you can't do anything to stop it right um, right right or you and you know um just kind of like the practicalities of the system right like the the the, the, the common version of this that's like not unique to the podcast is that like vast majority of cases plead out because yeah. it's faster and it's more guaranteed <clears throat> and it's it's it, that's like a mess right like there's there are there are, are problems with the legal system as it stands and that's it's that's good for kind of like exploring that um, no yeah i i know um i don't know a lot about that but i do know about that um because in college boy do i want to talk about this so in college um <clears throat> there is a sex offender rehab clinic in baltimore and in college, I chaperoned a trip for a class um, of of like high school students. They were they were in like pre college. They were like taking Hopkins courses over the summer. I chaperoned a a thing of them going to that rehab clinic, and it's like one of the most like foundational like eye opening experiences of my life, to be honest with you. And part of what they were talking about is that very phenomenon, right, where people were pleading out to things that they thought were very small and minor, and it ended up putting them on the sex offender registry, and it basically like destroyed their whole lives. Um, so, like, one guy was talking about um, public urination that got charged as indecent exposure, and he didn't – he had a public defender, and he didn't know what he was doing, and nobody cared about him, essentially. Um, and when he pled out on indecent exposure – and he could have pro probably dropped it down to public urination and been fine. Um, but when he pled out to indecent exposure, it put him on the sex offender registry – um, and he basically like lost everything and has been like bouncing around these halfway houses and shit like that. Um, and so, yeah, that, that is like a real, that's yeah. like a real thing. That's like a real problem. Um, uh, because in a lot of ways, like the legal system is kind of built on the efficiency of those cases being able to move insanely quickly through courts. You yeah. Know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's, 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 we, we are not, so a social issues podcast typically but yeah what the stuff. fuck i'm sorry i just I, I i also agree with you i find this stuff very interesting yeah. i've actually um, never gotten I, into cereal there, there's uh, a, of all things there's a big rabbit hole to go down there um yeah yeah, yeah. um uh something that i wanted to uh we're, we're late um i'm gonna bring it up anyway because why, why the hell not is this should be relatively quick um yeah we also had a little technical difficulties in the middle oh that's so right yeah, i guess we, we got, have a little bit of time we got a couple more minutes but um uh so recently gimlet Gimlet's podcast Reply All had an episode called, called Autumn, which I thought was really good um, in, in terms of uh, game stuff because it's a story about how this um, this woman lost her grandmother, uh, who was like like her she, like her mother wasn't wasn't abusive but wasn't very close with her. It was kind of like like distant, and her grandmother was very important to her. And when she died, she couldn't deal with it, so she recreated her in The Sims and dealt with her grief through the sims um it's a very wow. interesting episode and i definitely think you should i'll link in the description i think you should all listen to it um 
But the part of it that was the, that I wanted to talk about, which is totally unrelated to the subject of the episode, um, but the, the the woman is is black, and uh, she mentioned that um, uh, in the base Sims, there's not a lot of good options for uh, for black characters, um, and that there was a big modding community around it that she could go pick up all of that, like pick up all of those items through mods to kind of like build her grandmother in the way that she wanted to. Um, uh, I was thinking a little bit about. Um, about how, like, you know, that's a typical thing, right? Like, the character creators for black people tend to be, like, one of, like... They're, they're very rudimentary options, typically, except in maybe yeah. in, like, sports games. Um, uh, but this uh, this popped into my head because um, Japanese games always have really shitty beard options, um, which is kind of oh. Like, like... Oh, my God! It's, it's like, a, a parallel in, in, in a way, right? Like, because, because it's made for a Japanese audience, which doesn't have as, you know, as much kind of, like... I guess importance on facial hair options. Um, I think there's a technical reason for it. I think it's because if you make like substantial facial hair, you actually have to give it polygons. And almost all beards in Japanese games are like, like just like textures painted on, so they're like really like shitty beards and whatnot. Um, I don't know. I just thought that it was uh, it's kind of like interesting, kind of little cultural tidbits, right? That like pieces of things that yeah. get ignored. That's actually something uh, that I learned about in college. That I can't, it has a name, like it has like an academic name. Oh, does it? Um, but uh, it's essentially the phenomenon of like racist lighting, um, which is that um, we light movies for white people, right? For white skin, not for black skin. Um, <clears throat> and which, you know, makes sense. Obviously, black people were super oppressed when filmmaking was like coming around. And so a lot of the filmmaking roots that we have from the 20s, 30s, and 40s are when segregation was still a thing and like hardcore racism was still up and running kind of thing. Um, and only now are we sort of like decrypting and relearning some of the basic principles of uh, cinematography and of lighting in order to help make lighting uh, black people better and not awful. Um, there's a there's a really good YouTube video about this that I can't remember the name of off the top of my head, um, but it essentially talks about how um, the the black cinematographer of the movie something some movie um, knew like he he understood this problem and he was able to like make the movie like really good and pop off the screen because he was using a lot of light blue fill lights which are just better apparently for this but nobody thinks about this because everybody thinks about oh you know what? i think it might be a vox uh a vox youtube video on this but yeah like that that kind of thing is actually more common than i think we would think and nobody like nobody thinks about it or talks about it right yeah um because like even when i was in film school and we were learning about lighting and we were learning about cinematography right you are taught that it's a one-size-fits-all sort of thing right and that the way that you light certain people is always going to be fine and you're not going to have to worry about it sort of thing um but uh it was only after i got out of after i got out of college that i ended up learning about like this topic and this kind of uh and this kind of idea and i thought that that's really interesting um especially because like the um especially because in games i do feel that about uh like character creators like i think that they're kind of um uh sort of like biased sort of like one way or another um, when it comes to, like, for instance, in the World of Warcraft character creator, I you can give somebody, like, black skin, but I don't really think that you can give somebody, like, you can't give somebody black facial hair, yeah. right? Or, like, you can't give them an afro, right? Um, or something kind of along those lines. 
Um, and I think that that is like a certain weakness to the, uh, I think that's like a certain weakness to like the way that we build our games. Yeah. I mean, at some level, it's also just kind of like a matter of, um, of cost, right? Like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's, as as bad as it is, right? Like, you know, if, if, you know, you having to cut feature or, you know, how much you can put into those features is, 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 uh. It's it's often like a, a dollars and cents decision rather than kind of like a, a moral one, which uh, yeah, um, you know, I don't know. I actually I have my own personal hill to die on for, with this one because uh, I am left-handed and the only games that let you play left-handed characters are like tennis games. Um, <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, no tennis um, games. Yeah, um, and like man, yeah, wow, that would feel really weird. I think if I had played a left-handed character, like if I played in Red Dead Redemption, and he was pulling out his gun with his left hand, I feel like that would feel very weird for me. Yeah, um, the Link, <clears throat> Link is is general is canonically left-handed, um, or is always he's left-handed in every game except for like, um, uh, what was the the. Uh, uh, the the Wii Breath U one, of the wild? not oh, uh, Twilight Princess, Twilight Princess, because you, yeah. because you played it, not the Wii U, the Wii one, because you played it with the uh, with with the with the remotes in your hand, and you, you were supposed to swing one to one. So they, they sw- that's actually it's he's left handed in the GameCube version, and in the uh, he's right handed in the uh, the Wii version, and the way they did that is they literally the game the whole game is mirrored, like one hundred. Oh my god! Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is crazy, but uh, you know, that's uh, yeah, that, that that's my own hill to die on. Not that like uh, it's it's that important, but it's it's always a thing that I wish was there because it's like seems like it'd be like such like a little thing. Obviously, there's like technical requirements to everything, but like, um, you know, some games you can kind of like half get it in. Like, you can kind I think you can kind of get it to work in Skyrim because it doesn't care so much about your handedness, um, or maybe it does. I don't remember. I, like there are ways. That you yeah, can, well, Skyrim you can change. Right? right, you can make your left hand dominant if you want. I don't. It's um, it's not, that's not a core option. Really? Yeah. Um. Because uh, I feel like you could all you could assign anything to the you left. You can assign or anything right to hand. either hand. I think. Um. Which kind of like? Oh, but like maybe if you like pick something up off the ground. Yeah, like it. It'll use it's, like it's a right handed animation. Yeah, and I don't know if you could yeah. actually hold a shield in your right hand. But if you're dual, if you're using one handed things, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. But you know, that's just you know it's a little thing. But anyway, that is very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, uh, that's. Uh, I feel like we're way over time at this point, so we should probably wrap it up. Yeah. Um, uh, if you'd like to tell us what you thought about bad times at the El Royale or uh, Japanese facial hair or any of the other things that we talked about on this podcast, you can email us at podcast at some Um or uh, some at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Twitch, twitch.tv slash from Uh You can follow us on YouTube. Um, you can follow us on SoundCloud. Leave us ratings on iTunes. It helps other people find us and discover us. Uh, I think that's everything I had. Buddy, do you have anything else you wanted to promote? Uh, I have nothing else I'm looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. Thank you.